Nearly 200 years ago, God gathered this little group of Jesus followers and formed a church. And that church is called Mountain. For 198 years, God's mission through Mountain has been unstoppable. And that's because at each defining moment along the way, Mountain people have stepped up with this gritty determination and this radical commitment to a faithful God who keeps making a way where there seemed to be no way. This is a defining moment. This is a time for the people of God to rise up. You are being called to make a difference with your life by stepping forward and saying, I'm in it for good. Mountain. All right. Hey, good to see you. Welcome to all of our campuses. Let's give a big shout out to all of our campuses. Abingdon, Edgewood, uh, Aberdeen, Mountain Road. If you're watching online, a big welcome to you. You're in the right place. Okay. We've been in this series called Unstoppable Good. We're, we're talking about this whole journey that we've been on together as a church on what it looks like to be in it for good. It's been a really fun journey. Let me just encourage you. A couple of quick reminders, okay? Uh, if you don't have one already, uh, make sure you grab one of these, uh, these guidebooks. It's going to be how we navigate this series together. Uh, today we're going to be on page 29, so you can open to there, maybe get ready to take some notes. If you're watching online, go to unstoppablegood.church. That's where you can get that. Uh, this guidebook's a really important part of the journey. It talks about a lot of the vision of what God's doing through this movement, okay? Uh, something else I want to remind you of is that if you haven't yet joined a group, it is not too late, all right? It's been really cool to see, really exciting to see, really encouraging to see that every single one of our campuses, our Tuesday night campus groups are just busting at the seams, okay? Check this out. This is something we've got to celebrate. All of our campuses get ready to hoot and holler. Across all of our campuses, we are breaking records with the number of people who are connected to this community through group life. Isn't that awesome? Yeah, we get excited about that. Uh, that's good because this whole faith journey wasn't meant to be a solo act. It was supposed to be something that we do in community. And so it's not too late to get connected to a group. An in-home group, one of our campus groups should show up. 7 o'clock, Tuesday night, one of our campuses. Okay, we'll greet you. We'll be excited about that. And lastly, uh, we have each day through Unstoppable Good been sending a text message. Right now I'd invite you to text the word good to the number that you see on the screen. Okay, That text is important because we're calling it our daily dose of good. A chance for us daily to be filled up with the goodness of God through a short little devo, an opportunity for us to reconnect to what God wants to do through this unstoppable good movement. All right? Because we're saying we're in it for good. That's what this whole thing is about. It's about that because ultimately that's what Jesus said. Jesus said he was in it for good, for our good, for the good of the world. Thus, he's calling us to the same, to say ourselves that we are in it for good. And we're using that phrase because we believe that phrase should mark the life of someone who's made a response to Jesus, to be in it for good. And well, what do we mean by this? Well, well, in it, we mean like we've experienced the goodness of God. We've experienced the love of Jesus. We've experienced his generosity and his kindness and his grace, and that has transformed us. So we say that we are in it. What we're saying is like we are in the gospel, and the gospel ha has permeated every single aspect of our life. In it is everything. Okay, and we say for good, we're saying it's like we... We just want to live like Jesus lived. Like, what does it mean to be in it, to, to live out the gospel? Well, it's, meant, it's meant to go around and do good. 
Because that's what Jesus did. Uh, the, the verse we've been using to help call us back to the, what Jesus was known for is this verse in Acts chapter 10. I really like the message version. It says it this way, okay? It tells us and it reminds us that Jesus arrived from Nazareth, anointed by God with the Holy Spirit. Jesus was connected to God, ready for action. I, I love that phrase. Like Jesus shows up. He's got God in him, and that moves him to action. And we're saying as a church, like that's what God wants to do in us. Those of us who have experienced the good news of Jesus, who have experienced the gospel, God wants to do something in us, and that is move us to action in tangible and important ways. And here's what it looked like for Jesus. He went through the country helping people. So what does the gospel in action look like? It looks like helping people, doing good, and healing everyone who was beaten down by the devil. And he was able to do it all because God was with him. You catch that? If you're in it for good, well, that means you are moved to action. And God is, is calling us as a church to action, to say, I want to use my church. God says, my church is the answer to the mission in which I have given this world. The problem that this world has is sin, and the answer is what the church is going to do, ushering in the good news of Jesus. And so what that looks like for us in this next season, if you turn in your book to page 14, 15, and 16, you'll see what it looks like for us to be called to action, to be in it for good, to go around helping people, doing good. It looks like growing mountain 2x, like saying we want two times the number of people to experience the good news of Jesus through the blessing of this church. Does that sound like good news? Does that sound like something any of us want to happen, that two times the number of people would experience the gospel? That's when everyone says, yes, we want that. Come on, say it. We want that. We want that kind of action. We want that kind of goodness. We want to expand our focus on kids and students, multiply our emphasis on young adults who are so longing for connection to something meaningful in this life. We want to amplify our sports ministry, increase our digital ministry impact, strengthen every ministry, launch some mental health initiatives, because we all know somebody who's been impacted in ways that they need help right now. Some stuff's going on, they're, they're realizing some anxiety, some depression, some mental health issues. Improve some spaces, invest in leaders. Launch a new church plant. Launch a new campus. Build a camp for kids in Kenya. Expand the epicenter to be larger and have a bigger ministry impact than ever before. Ex ignite these explosions of good that are going to happen everywhere. We just get to bless some people. Y'all, that's what it looks like to be in it for good. It's to be motivated to action in the same way Jesus was. And that's to go around doing good, helping others, and healing people. Because God is with us, we can and that's what this season is about. Saying I'm in it for good. I want to have the impact that, that Jesus had. I've experienced his goodness and now it's my time to allow that to permeate me, to do something within me and motivate me to do something in this world that will help and heal and bring the good news of Jesus. And so what, what does it mean to be in it for good? That's what we've been talking about. Well, to, to say I'm in it for good, it's it's to realize that the response to Jesus gives Jesus priority in our life. And not, not just some of our life, okay? Not just the Sunday or Thursday night or Monday night part of our life. Not just the Wednesday night students groups part of our life. It's to allow God to, to transform every single part of our life. To make Jesus priority of all that we are. 
And so I wonder if that's actually a really good place for us to start together, is to slow down and just ask the question. Can you do this? Can you ask the question of yourself? I'm, I'm going I'm to I'm I'm put you on the hook here to do some work right here and now. Wherever it is you're participating from, get out your booklet and go to page 29. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to start to make a list of what your priorities are. Answer that question. What are my priorities? Like, really think about it. You might want to put Jesus on the page because you're like, I'm in church. Jesus is the answer. Let's go. All right, that's a good answer. But when I ask you what's most important, like what really comes to mind first? Be transparent. Be vulnerable. Be honest. Start, start to make the list. I, I know, like, I've, I've done that, okay? I've, I've made the list in my book. There it is. When I really start to think about it, you know, I think about things, and maybe you do too. Maybe, maybe, maybe you think about your job. Maybe you think about how much money you can make or how much money you've saved or how much money you spend. Maybe you think about your kids, the school that they go to, their education, their sports, their success. Maybe, maybe you think about your house. You care a lot about your house. Expanding it, cleaning it up, making it look good, whatever it might be for you. Maybe it's your desire to have a spouse. And that's getting a lot of attention in your life right now. Maybe it's getting into the best college or being the best athlete. Maybe it's your reputation. Maybe it's being really, really good at what you do. Like, ask the question of yourself and really answer it. Like, what are my priorities? Make the list. And if you're having trouble making the list, let me invite you to do something that I think is very daring and ask somebody else to answer that question for you. If you're so courageous, ask your spouse because they're going to tell you. Or ask a friend, ask her, I asked my kids, I asked my little Ella girl, hey, what do you think daddy's priorities are? And she looked at me, she said, I am dad. <laughs> I was like, that's true, she's my favorite daughter. She's my only daughter, but she's my favorite daughter. I tell her that all the time, okay? She said some other stuff. She said, you know, family, work, coffee. I was surprised she said coffee because I'm a Dunkin' man and I get ragged on a lot for that, okay? But, but coffee's one of them. She said vacuuming. She's right on, okay? I love to vacuum. I vacuum every single day. I make sure my floors are spotless. Let me just tell you, if you're looking for a vacuum, you got to make sure it has hypervelocity suction. That is key. Don't miss it, okay? And it's got to have headlights, like LED headlights, so you can see every speck of dirt. Don't miss any of it. Like, that's important to me. I vacuum every day. They said some other stuff. The list got long. You've made your list, hopefully. Because every single one of us has priorities. But I think it's really important for us to understand together today that a life marked by Jesus is a life that has changed priorities. To do this exercise, it's really revealing. It's important. Take the inventory. And don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that the list I just made is full of bad things. It's, it's not. To care about your job, to, to make money, to want the best for your kids, to have a spouse, to be good at what you do. Those are fine and good things to care about. You, sh you should care about those. The question was not, though, what are fine and good things to care about. The question is, what is the ultimate thing that you care about? Call that into question. Because ultimately, the ultimate thing you care about will factor into everything else on the list. I mean, think about this. If, if if money is the most important thing, if it is the ultimate thing, then the rest of the list is going to be viewed through that lens. It's going to change the way you interact with the rest of the list. If your kids is the ultimate thing, if they are the most important thing, that's going to change the way that you interact with the rest of the list. 
Like, what, what is the most important thing? What is the ultimate thing? Because to be in it for good means that we're choosing that the ultimate thing is not about us. Like, don't, don't miss that. To say we're in it for good is to say that the ultimate thing is not about us. And Paul, in the Bible, he talks about this often. It's like people are making a response to God over and over again throughout Scripture. Paul is planting these churches, and then he feels like he just has to continue to be this resounding gong of life is not about you, it is about Jesus. And here's the way he says it to the church in Galatia. I think this is very insightful for us, so check it out. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. Paul's saying is, I, I have made a decision to follow Jesus, and because of that, I have been crucified with him. And it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Don't, don't miss that. Don't, don't skip past that. It is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, the world we live in, the way we interact with it, for those of us who have made a decision to follow Jesus, the life we now live in the flesh, we live by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself up for us. You see, see what Paul is saying is the big picture is it's, it's, it's not about you. This life is not about you. It's about Jesus and making much of him. A response to Christ changes the very way we view every single aspect of this life. Not just some of it, all of it. Paul is saying the person I was before Christ, the self-centered, conceited, self-exalting, the one who, who, who continued to give in to his selfish desires. Well, that person has come to an end. That person has died. I once saw the world a certain way, and now that is gone, and I see the world now through the lens of Jesus. The priority is Christ who lives in me. And don't miss the theological significance of this. Jesus isn't the thing that Paul did on Sunday. Jesus wasn't the thing that he did when he read his Bible every morning in his quiet time. It wasn't the thing he did when, when he prayed before dinner with his kids and his family. No, Jesus permeated every single aspect of Paul's life. Jesus has taken up residency in him and has changed something. Paul is setting the example for us. He's showing us that to be in it for good changes the very way in which we view everything in this life. Before Christ, before Jesus, he saw the world this way, through his eyes, through what he wanted. But after Christ, having given himself to Jesus, it changed the perspective he has. And now, through Christ, he sees everything differently. It all has this tint to it. Like, nothing looks the same. It all looks different. Jesus is now in my life. He, he's now at the center of it. I've received his goodness. I've experienced it. And now that he has taken hold of me, everything looks different. It's got a God tent to it. Not, not just some pieces. No, all of it. Everything I see looks different now. To live for God, to be in it for good, is to give everything in this world a God tent. I mean, think, think about that. Like, we're really good about, like, wearing our sunglasses to church, right? 
We come to church, we're like, oh, I, I see you, God. I see this world through your lens. I love you. I worship you. But then, like, we leave church, and oftentimes we go back to seeing the world the way we want to see it. Our perspective goes back to what it once was before we had Christ. And we show up to small group, and all of a sudden we, we, we see through the God lens again. You see, Paul is saying, like, st- stop doing that. Stop making other things more important than Jesus, but instead see everything in this world through the lens of Jesus, both the mundane and, and, and the big, both the significant and the small. Whatever it is in this life, look at it through the God lens. God is tinting all of it. Like, I, I play basketball on Wednesday mornings at 5.30 a.m. every single week with a bunch of guys. Some of them go to church, some of them don't. And I, I could very easily walk in there like this. But what God has called me is to say, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So I walk in there and I get ready to play. And everything I see there, the experience I'm having, the people I'm interacting with, it is all seen through God's lens. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. When I wash the dishes, I hate washing the dishes, but I do. Is no longer Christ, is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And so I, when I wash the dishes, I can see a, a task as mundane as that through the lens of Jesus, through the God tent. When I, when I go to work, all right, like I want to do good and important and hard work. When you go to work, are you a different person? Are you seeing the world differently? Or are you seeing it through the lens, through the tent of God? When I get on the floor and I, I play with my little three-year-old, you know, it would be so easy to separate that out. But no, God calls us to say, you know, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And so I get on the floor and I, I, I play with my kid, you know, there it goes. Still going, uh-oh, and crashed. This changes everything. way I interact with this thing? Do I look at it with the God tent? Or about this? The money that I have. I, I never have cash on me, but I do today. Like, is this, do I look at this with the lens of Christ? It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Or maybe use one of these things. The, the way I spend my money, the way I interact with this world, the things I invest in, do I look at it with God's tent? Do I see everything the way that God does? What is your priority? When you take inventory, like be honest, are you removing God from the equation in some aspects of your life, or are you striving to live like Paul and say, it is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. And everything in this world I see through his lens. Like I said, Paul, Paul is on it. And he's talking to uh, this guy, his name is Epiphras. He launched this church in Colossae, and he wrote this book of Colossians to that church. This is a brand new church, it's a church plant planted by this guy, Epiphras. And as he's talking to him, he, he's, he he's comes and he, he delivers this message to Paul while Paul is in prison. And he says to Paul, like, hey, the church is doing pretty good. All right, the, ch- the church is doing pretty well. But... There are some cultural pressures that are like pushing against some of the people who have chosen to follow Jesus. And it's, it's making them not 
make Jesus such a priority in their life. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Have you ever experienced that yourself? Like there's some cultural pressures that maybe make you want to make less of Jesus. And so Paul, he writes this, this letter to the church, and he writes this letter to encourage them, to challenge them in their devotion to Jesus. And he says this, he says, Since the day we heard about you, we've not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy. Not part of your life, so that you may live all of your life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work. Whatever the cultural pressure is, Paul is now pushing against it. He's saying, no, no, don't sacrifice any part of your life. All of your life is meant to be given to God. Give him glory. See, all of this world through the God tent. He says, like, if, you, if, you, if you're still not there, can I just maybe give you a reason to? And here's what he says to the church. He says the son, that's Jesus, okay, the one that we've made a response to. The, the son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Why should we give him priority in our life? Because for in him all things were created. Everything we experience was created by Jesus. Things in heaven and on earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. Why do we give Jesus priority? Because everything we have is his anyways. None of it's ours. It was made by him, through him. For him and in him is how it all holds together. And that should reshape the way that we look at everything we have. It should give us the God tent. Like our lives, they're his. My car, it's his. This world, it's, it's his. My kids, they're his. My money, it's his. It all belongs to him. And Paul goes on to say this, and he is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. Like, as you know, the church is like us. Like, we're the body of Christ. You all that? That's us. That's something to be excited about. Like, like, we are the body of Christ. And he says, each one of you are a part of the body. Some of you are fingers, some of you are toes, some of you are kneecap, like some of you are an elbow, whatever it might be. But at the head of it all is Christ. He is before all, he is in all. He leads this thing. He's the most important feature of the body. So that in everything in this life, he may have supremacy. Christ is in all. He is all. Everything we have is his. And if that's true, then that changes the way that we view this world. It gives everything a God. Maybe you've heard it this way before, like, we're just managers, God's the owner. You heard that saying? Like, if you watch one of those shows where uh, there's a restaurant that's falling apart, and so they bring an, out, an outside consultant in who's there to fix the restaurant, so he comes in, puts up the hidden cameras, and he starts watching everything going on. And one of the first things that always happens in that show is they realize, like, the manager isn't managing well. 
the manager's either like ordering too much food or has too many people working or is giving stuff away. And so the first thing they always do is they have to retrain the manager or fire the manager. Now, think about that for yourself for just a moment. Are you a good manager? The life that God has given you to steward, are you a good manager of it or do you need to be retrained? Or if you were the owner, would you fire you? Or if you were God, would you give you more to manage? If Christ is at the center of our priorities, if we decide that we're going to view this life this way, not this way, this way, is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That's when our priorities will push out the social pressures. They will no longer take the place of Jesus, and Jesus will become Lord of all of our lives, and the gospel will catch like wildfire, and people will turn to Jesus. Paul's reshaping stuff for this church in Colossae. He says this in chapter 3. He says, since then, like those are, y'all, those are some heavy words, okay? Since then means like there are some implications here. Get ready. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above. The heart, the heart is the word that would be used to, to like encapsulate all of who you are. Set all of who you are on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For your old self is dead, it is gone, it is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. And that changes everything. It turns our priorities upside down. Since then is the tent by which we see this life. Since then, you have been raised with Christ to realize nothing is yours. It's Christ. It's Jesus's. Jesus is first. You are not. Therefore, how do you interact with the world? Because now, through the God tent, you realize that none of it's yours anyways. And you start to see through the eyes of God, what the world could be, what the kingdom of God looks like. And it's a kingdom of mercy. It's a kingdom of generosity. It's a kingdom of forgiveness. It's a kingdom of love. It's a kingdom of graciousness. It's a kingdom of God's goodness. Christ has brought that in, and now he says, here, those of you who have experienced the goodness of God, and you're now seeing this world through the God tent, this is your mission to carry forward through my church. Make him priority and see what happens. And as we view the world through the lens of God, it should create some kind of urgency in us because we've experienced the gospel, the good news that saves us. To be in it for good, it's about each of us giving God priority in our lives. Letting God do something in us to shape us to look more like him so that he can do something through us, bring us to action, to go around doing good and bringing the good news of the gospel into all aspects of this life. Not just some of them. What's your priority? Make your list. But let me ask you, 
Is Jesus just one of the things on the list? Or is he the way that you viewed the list? Because those are two radically different things. Make the list. Ask a friend, ask a spouse. But if you really want to know where your priorities are, you ready for this? Like, go to bofa.com and log in, right? Like, look at your bank account. Because that's going to tell you a lot about what's most important. We know it will. You've heard the phrase before, put your money where your mouth is. Like, if you believe in something, you invest in it. Right? Just examine the way you spend your money. If you believe in something, you invest in it. What does your money say about what you believe in? About where your heart is? About where your mouth is? About where your priorities are? The money piece is huge for us. So many of us, we say, we want to look at this world through the God lens, except when it comes to our finances. Like, don't bring that into it. Don't go Jesus juking me now. I was with some friends at a, at a fire a couple weeks ago. Uh, we were just hanging out. We were cutting it up, having some fun. And uh, all of a sudden, I got real serious. And everyone, like, killed the mood a little bit. And I was like, sorry, I didn't mean to Jesus juke you. And one of the guys sitting next to me was like, bro. There's, there's no such thing as a Jesus juke. Like, we are Christ followers. All of our life is about him. And if that is true, there, there is no Jesus juke to be had. If you see the world this way, if you see the world through a God tent, then the way we view our money, the way we view how we use our money, the way we view our generosity is not about juking anyone or anything, but rather it's about trying to see the world the way that God sees it. And few, few things show what's most important to us, quite like how we spend our money. Let's just be honest about that. And that's why the Bible, it talks so much about it. That's why the Bible talks about our finances. why Jesus talked about money more than anything else. why Paul goes there often. Because our finances are a true indicator of how we view this world and where we're setting our eyes and by which lens we view everything. Because when Paul says, in the life which I now live, I live by faith, he's not holding anything back. He says, all, all of me, everything I got. And Paul, like he, he wants this to be known. He, he gives a lot of advice on money. And here's one piece of advice that he gives the church in Corinth. And he gives them this advice to help them understand what it means to give God priority in their life. Because by giving God priority in their life in this way, the mission of God can be fulfilled in beautiful ways. And here, here's what he says. Now, regarding your question about the money, maybe you didn't have a question about money today, but I'm going to answer it anyways, okay? Now, regarding your question about the money being collected for God's people in Jerusalem, here's what you should do. You should follow the same procedure I gave the churches in Galatia. On the first day of each week, you should each put aside a portion of the money you have earned. Don't wait till I get there, and then I'll have to collect it all at once. What Paul is saying is here is like, hey, when you come together as the church on the first day of the week, you should put aside a portion of the money you have earned. He's saying that the standard operating procedure for someone who sees the world this way is to set aside a portion of your finances according to what you make and give it to God first. It's the principle of first fruits that we talk about. First day of the week. Give to God first for God's purposes. The, the money 
they were collecting the finances. They went to pushing forward the mission of God, to putting the words into action, to living it out, to helping people and caring for others. And that's what this whole thing is about. It's not about the money. It's about what we can do when the church rallies together and our, our collective efforts funnel all that God has given us into missional purposes because God has a plan for this world and it is to redeem and to save and, and to bring in the lost and to help them experience the goodness of God, the grace of God, the redeeming love of God. He wants to do that through his church. That's us. And so he says, make the mission priority. On the first day, bring what you got according to what you make and give it to God. Because that showcases the priority of God. The principle of first fruits is something we read about in Scripture. I recognize that that principle is so important because it helps us to know and to understand. Those of us who say, you know, we are going to give our first fruits to God for God's purposes to push his mission forward through his bride, his plan for the world, his plan to save the world, his local church. Well, if we do that, well, our faithfulness really starts to get put on display. It shows that we trust God that we believe that he is, in fact, before all, that he is most important. So what's your priority? Like, do, do you give anything to God? Do you just give leftovers to God? Do you make financial decisions based on your giving or giving based on financial decisions? I know my, my wife and I, like, we've, we've been challenged in this. I'll be honest with you. I, I, I got my story to share. That's it, okay? And so I'm not trying to brag. I'm trying to do this humbly, but the Lord has like really pressed upon my wife and I that we're going to follow the biblical precedent of first fruits, that we're going to give 10% or more of our income to the efforts of the local church for the mission by which God has given us. And y'all, the Lord has shown up in big ways in my life through that. I've gotten to experience his goodness. It's not even a thought to us. It just happens. Like it's priority. And invites you to consider, are you making God the priority of your life? Because the God tent, it's, it's in everything. It's in, it's in basketball. It's in washing the dishes. It's in playing with my kids. It's in my work, and it's also in my finances. I want you to hear the story uh, from Cleo. It's a great story about uh, the journey that she went on to realize that God needed to be priority in her life in the way of giving. Check this out. Look, I need to go find an outfit because I was like, what do I have that's plain? Oh, my gosh. I was like, it's a good thing you told me because, look, I dress up. <laughs> I'm Cleo Simpson. Um, I've been coming to Mountain about 12 years now. I'm good to the Edgewood campus. I come from a family that education excellence is key. So I remember my daughter um, was always a straight-A student, well, both of my kids. And I was like, you know what? I don't feel like they're teaching her enough at this school. So she started tutoring. When my son comes along, he's straight-A's, and I added him to the tutoring. And my niece came along, and I added her to the tutoring because that was very important to me, that they were excellent students. I valued that a lot because that's how I grew up. And I remember Ben preaching a sermon and he talked about tithing, you know, the 10% tithe, like to be obedient. That's what God's word says. And I remember saying, because I had never not given, 
I just never got to the 10%. I was like, 10% gross on net? Like, I mean, 10% is a lot, you know? Like, <laughs> the taxes come out, 10%, are you for real? So I went home that day, and, and I was convicted that day. And I remember that Ben said in that sermon also, he says, you don't even have to give it to Mountain Christian. If you feel like you want to give it to an organization, you want to give it to somebody who's poor, do it and test God and see if God will not open up the floodgates of heaven for you. I was convicted. I went home, started looking at the money, and I was just trying to see where the money went because I was like, I, I did not know where 10% would come from. And a very interesting thing happened because when I calculated <laughs> the tutoring, it was more than 10%. I never, ever thought about it. When it came to the tutoring, it was just that important. And I paid it, never thought about what percentage it was. And that was like a link back for me because it was so easy for me to pay that tutoring without questioning when it was so hard for me to be obedient to God. And God was the one that made my children smart anyway. So he's sitting there like, hey, I already gifted you. But I was so concerned about making that gift better than God even made it. So for me, that was my moment. And I said, I'm gonna do it. And it really was not an even prove me kind of thing. It just made me realize what I valued. And I realized, yeah, I value that over God. So I made the shift. God is not stagnant. You know, his kingdom is not stagnant. It's always growing. There's always room to do more. There's always room for us to stretch, for us to reach people. Um, and if, if we don't do it, then who will? If we don't do it, then who will? And God, when God calls us to things, he's already prepared a way for us. His word tells us he sets a table before us. And if God's table is already set before you, then you can step there. He's going to nourish you while you stretch. He's going to provide for you while you stretch. He's going to do it. I've seen it over and over and over again. So we can't stay the same. We can't all guard our time. We can't all guard our resources. We need to be free with all those things with God and then watch Him do what He wants to do. Because all these things that Unstoppable Good is going to do are things that the community needs, the things that we all need. We're all better for it if we stretch. Whether I need the mental health or the Tabitha's, um, you know, Tabitha's house, whatever it is, God has already prepared for that. He just needs people to just step into those roles. He's already made a way for it. He's already prepared all of that. The more your relationship grows with God, He calls you to deeper things. He calls you to greater things. And sometimes greater means your time. Sometimes greater means your money. You know, you can't just always, you know, you can't always want to be great and not be great in the things that God calls you for. So for me, I'm comfortable in God asking me to do more because He has been that good. Like there, there are areas in my life where I don't even pursue and he pushes me there. If he wants me to give it, he'll provide it. So I'm not worried about that because there, there are things you don't control in this life. If the IRS comes up and says, hey, your tax bracket has changed, you need to pay them more. You pay them. If God says it's time for you to stretch, you do that. I mean, he's not gonna, he's not gonna send you 10 letters in the mail. But he's gonna send you a message and you need to listen to that message. And that's kind of how I feel about it. There are things I don't control. So when God gives me an instruction, I must follow it.
Yeah, I love her story. I love what she says. Like, if, if not us, then who? God has a mission to save the world, and he's chosen to use us. If not us, then who? And that's what this is about. Being in it for good is prioritizing God in a way that he's going to do something in us and something through us. And it's going to take all of us committing and being all in and having urgency around the gospel. You know, uh, a few weeks ago, uh, we took up an offering for what happened in Florida. It was amazing, y'all. Mud's filling people's houses, and our church responds like that. $15,000 in a matter of seconds between all of our campuses, now in play for kingdom purposes, 100% of it in Florida getting mud out of people's houses. What if we had that same kind of urgency every single week? Because there are people all around us who need to experience the goodness of God who have mud all up in their hearts. Let's have the kind of urgency that wants to bring the gospel there. That's what this whole thing is about. Let's be in it for good. I want to invite you into a couple things. I want you to pray about this commitment card. All of us got one. And this commitment card is an opportunity for us to say, you know what, God, we realize that, that you want to use 100% of us to make a difference in this world. And that we bring our gifts to you and we give them to you. We recognize they're yours anyway, so God, use them to make much of yourself. And by doing that, like we, we showcase that Jesus is priority. So I want to invite you, start praying about this. Start praying through this. Pray about it with your kids, with your spouse, with your friends. Start asking God, like, like how do you want me to stretch? God, how do you want me to be in it for good with my finances? Because for us to take the gospel to all the places we feel like God is calling us, it's going to take all of us making God a priority in all of our life. We had an advanced commitment night that's going to happen on the 28th of October, and our students' advanced commitment night is going to happen on October 26th. I just, I'd invite you, like, if you're someone that's like, I'm in it for good, I'm on mission, I want to do this, I can't wait to see what God is going to do through, through what God is, is doing through the Unstoppable Good Journey. I can't wait to see camps be launched in Kenya. I can't wait for that campus. I can't wait for the mental health initiatives. I can't wait to see all these people come to know the gospel. If you're in that category of people who are just jacked up and excited and ready to see the goodness of God put on display through this church, join us for this, because leaders, we go first. We show the way and we show everyone what it looks like to make Christ a priority in our life. And so save that day. Come join us because we're going to have a party. And we're going to celebrate the fact that God is in action. Doing good. Let's pray. God, we come before you. God, grateful for your love. God, we experience that. We know it. Those of us who have made a response to the gospel, a response to your love, God, motivate us to action just as you were, Jesus to make you priority. God, not, not one of the things on the list, but the way, way we view the very list. And so God, in this place, my prayer is that you just motivate, motivate each of us to take a step towards prioritizing you in some new and profound way in our lives to, to, to boldly declare, God, we are in it for good. It's your name we pray. Amen.